following episode was recorded on location at Marion High School on May 5th, 2023. Welcome to It's Better Here, the official podcast of the Producers Co-op. Whether you are out in the yard, the field, the pasture, or the barn, we have everything you need. It's Better Here. Welcome to the show. That's right. My name is Jason Dyes. Her name is? Mandy Jo. It is episode nine. Can you believe it? I can't, and I'm so excited for I this know. one. I know. So now you've seen all of my shirts three times, so that's <laughs> a pretty big deal. And we're broadcasting live from Marion High School. <laughs> Excited. It's our first remote. Well, we were at the mill, but we're still sort of on co-op property. And so we're excited. We're talking to Mr. Riley. Mr. Riley, so thank you so much for joining us. And I wanted to start by asking you, tell us a bit about your career in ag and ag education. All right. Well, grew up on a farm. I'm a fourth-generation farmer. My grandfather started uh, Riley Brothers Farms in the 1940s. My dad, my uncles, and now my brothers have continued that. So the drive was always there to be involved in agriculture. Uh, I think the plan was a little different when I was younger. wanted to be a veterinarian like I think every second grader wants to be nowadays. Uh, but that didn't pan out, so I uh, needed to stay closer to home to go to school. Couldn't quite get off the college station for some family reasons, so decided to teach instead. And uh, it's kind of unique. My brother was my ag teacher, and I don't know many people that can say that. And so. I helped him probably more than stayed in class with him because we would have fought more if I'd have been in class with him all day. So I started kind of doing some of the things that an ag teacher would do already when I was in high school. So the desire was there, and and so I I got my degree. I ended up in uh, Yorktown, Texas, extremely rural, 200 kids maybe total in the whole school. Loved it there, uh, but got an opportunity to get closer to home, moved to uh, Converse Judson, I believe you're on the modern. So, Mighty Rockets. Uh, there you go. So uh, spent some time we had, there. We had 200 kids in detention in my yeah, favorite yeah, year. <laughs> and this was before Wagner High School, so we had the full boat of six or 7,000 students there and probably was a little bigger than what I wanted to be at. So got the opportunity from there to go to Samuel Clemens High School, which put me back in my home county of Wallet County. And uh, from there, ended up here at Marion, and, and this was kind of always the goal. I student taught here in 1993 and loved it, and the goal was to be here eventually, so yeah, I yeah. got here as quick as I could, and this is where I'm at. My own children have come through this program. Um, all of them are my kids, but my own three have come through here, so uh, that's kind of where I've been with the, with my career and, and the places I've I've been teaching at. and. This is going to be the last place, I can tell you that. <laughs> Retirement is on the horizon. Oh, so. Nice. so I had a great ag teacher, and so I know how important that is. Tell us, what's the most rewarding part of working with these young people? It's the success. Watching the kids, and, and success is different for every kid. You know, you can look around in this classroom, and there's there's obviously signs of success hanging on the walls. But sometimes it's just watching, you know, when the kid does it and they're happy and they're smiling, that's success. And so it's different for everybody. My shop guy's success is well in a good bead and well in the, putting a project together that they're proud of. Uh, for some of these guys that competed high level, success might be in a high individual at, at a national contest. So we've had it in all parts in between, but when you see that, that's what makes going to school and teaching every day worthwhile. The ag part of it is important to me too. Growing up on a farm, you know, it's, there's no secret. It's 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 a dying industry in terms of 
getting younger people involved. The average age of a farmer is climbing every year. We can't get young people involved in farming because it's expensive. It's very cost prohibitive. It's hard to find land. It's hard to find equipment. And, and if we don't do something about that as teachers to instill that into our students, then where are we going to be in 50 years? Hungry. Exactly. That's where we're going to exactly. be. We've talked about it since we started doing the podcast. We talked about the need to celebrate and advocate for the young people. I mean, if you want to go to college and major in Peruvian poetry, to God be the glory, do whatever you want. But every night I put dinner on the table, not a poetry book or a painting or anything like that. And, you know, I read, I keep up on things. There's a lot of things happening in Europe where they're trying to regulate the amount of farmland. We really can't have that happen here. And you had an interesting project about this kind of thing earlier this year. Tell us about that. And and we do a lot of things. Whenever we have a student give a speech or we have to write a script for a speaking contest, we try, when we have that leeway, we try to, to promote as much as we can the agriculture industry instead of just doing the, the hot topic of the day. And so we, we did a topic uh, back in the fall. It was about a potential for a meat tax. Um, and, and it's happening in some other countries where they are charging more money if you are going to eat meat because all of a sudden meat is, is the bad guy. You know, ranchers are the bad guy because their cattle are passing gas and it's killing the atmosphere and, and the environment is so bad because of farmers and that's that's not true. There's no one who takes care of the environment better than farmers and said that on episode one. <laughs> there you go. And, and so, you know, we had a project talking about this potential meat tax and, and the ramifications of that because what people don't understand is we're we're short on land as it is. We're short on farmland, we're short on ranch land. The statistics say to feed population we're going to have in the year 2050, we've got to increase production by 70% of where Mm. we're at. How do we do it? If we're going to say we can't eat meat, you're taking away a huge chunk of food supply, especially for those people that are on the lower income side and need the protein. Not to mention steak night at my house, which is on Thursday. There you go, exactly. And so, you know, what, what do you do if we have less production because they say we can't do it? Where are we going to make up where are we going to find the land to farm to make up yeah. and not just make up that difference but add 70% on top of that to feed that growing population? And I don't think that people really – it does not cross the mind of the average person. I will say that. Absolutely. These kids sitting here have heard me say this all the time. This is nothing new to them. We talk about this a lot. And, and I, I feel for these kids and their kids because they're the ones that have to figure out the solution. I'm already too old to find that solution other than just trying to teach them and make them aware. But uh, So we did this project on a meat tax. We were, were very fortunate. Uh, we made it. We were the sixth place team in the state of Texas uh-huh. out of almost 200 teams. It was seven students that were very well spoken. They had to give a 15-minute presentation and answer some questions. And, and so, yeah, we did not win that state title, and that's what we wanted to do. But I tell you what, we were successful because part of that that contest, we had to go out and do community forums and I believe we ended up doing 22 of those and the idea is that we find stakeholders well anybody that eats is a stakeholder so we had teachers we had parents we had business people from around here Uh, we sent our video to other people we tried to reach as many people as we could to do those forums so that we could not we could get that topic out and more people could understand the ramifications of what's happening with our food and fiber system. 
that's awesome to know, and I'm glad to hear that y'all are focusing on that, and I feel better knowing that this generation and the kids in this classroom with us are going to get that fixed for us. Um, on another note, Jason grew up in a country club, not out here in the country, and probably thought FFA wasn't for him. What is your advice to young people who think FFA is just about raising animals? <laughs> and we have this discussion a lot, too. We, we always try to get our officers and our kids that are, are on our teams we always challenge them every year to, to try to bring one friend that's not involved in agriculture or in FFA, bring them out and get them to be part of our classes. And you'd be surprised the students we've been able to get into our program that way. When I first came to Marion, I was really lucky. I was getting to teach a speech class. And so I had every kid, every freshman student had to come through my speech class. Well, those that could speak, I would tell them, hey, maybe better come to our FFA meeting and see what this is about. And, and so we recruit everyone uh, because there is something in our program for everyone and we have a lot of students that show don't get me wrong our chapter if you look at us across state I would bet that we're probably in the top two or three chapters in terms of entries like at San Antonio Stock Show and Houston Stock Show we have a lot of students that invest heavily in animal projects but I also have banners hanging on the wall um, from student that won the national extemporaneous speaking contest who never raised a project one his project was, uh, I mean, he had a job that we were able to put in his record book so that we could fulfill that part of it, but his job in my mind was to help us promote what we do, and he was an outstanding advocate for the agriculture industry. And so uh, we've had some students have great success without ever raising an animal. They have to have something to put in their record book, yes, but that can be a job. They can babysit. They can mow a lawn. They can... There's a lot of different things that can go into having an FFA project nowadays. They've really opened that up um, to just about anything. If you're doing something that is legal and makes money, it <laughs> probably fits. A kid can work at Bill Miller. They can work at HEB. They can, I said, babysit for the neighbor, and they still get credit for, for having the project. So we recruit them all. We want them out here, and, and we have found that most of the time the reluctance they may have at the beginning that once they get in here and see what we do and the opportunities that they have, they stick around. Uh, most of them, I, we had a young man this year, and he was in here a while ago, but he elected to, to go out when we start the podcast. But uh, he he was in some shop classes, did some welding and so forth, and I talked him into taking some other classes this year, and we put him on a wildlife team because he likes to be outdoors and do things, and he ended up being our high scorer when we went to the state contest. So he ended up being a state qualifier and a high scorer on the team, and um, I, I think that the experience, even though it was just for one year, I think if you'd ask him, he'd say that he'd, he'd do it again and again. So I, I think that's – and I think everybody needs to do that. I think I hope that all ag teachers are trying to recruit those kids that aren't just necessarily your stereotypical farm kid because those kids realize what's going on in the world of ag. We need others to understand that, and that's our best option to, to get that word out. We want to thank you so much for taking some time out of day to join us on the It's Better Here podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Up next, we visit with four amazing young people from Marion High School. But it doesn't matter how old or young you are, you want to follow us online, sign up for the newsletter, and follow us on social media. 
right up next, we've got some of the young people from here at Mariana High School. Take it away, Manny Joe. Yes, I'm very excited to sit with Brooke Reiniger. Before we start, I want to congratulate you on your success last week. We're going to interview some of your teammates coming up, too, but on your state FFA livestock judging win. Big deal around here. Um, so outside of that, your family has a long history of agriculture in this part of the world. Tell us a little about that and how it has impacted your passion for agriculture. Yes, ma'am. So I was kind of naturally brought up in the ag industry, and I wouldn't say I necessarily had the choice to be in it or not, but there's absolutely no doubt that I think this is where I would have ended up, and this is kind of where sparks flew, and I plan to pursue a career in the agriculture industry, and just because my passion is so big for this kind of thing. So since they did have such a big influence on me, not just my parents, but both sides in the history that goes back, on my mom's side, my grandma, she grew up, she picked cotton, they farmed, and uh, my grandpa, he actually bought out the cattle company in 1978 with his brothers, and so I'm really proud to have that um, in my history line because I do love the cattle company, and my grandma's like my best friend. I think we relate a lot just because she loves the agriculture industry as much as I do, and I think if my grandpa was still around, we'd be, I mean, absolutely almost the same person because <laughs> he sure did have the passion and the drive like I do for the ag industry. On my dad's side, they were also involved in the ag industry. So when I came around, you know, I kind of heard of this FFA thing and I was like, this sounds like something I want to do. And I knew that there was so many different opportunities like Mr. Riley had talked about. I mean, there's from robotics to the extemporaneous speaking, speaking events that have so many different categories you can fit any speech under and then livestock judging of course and meat judging you name it so the FFA has a place for anybody and I am always telling people that this is something for you I don't care where you come from what your background is your ethnicity your race this is somewhere that you can grow and and really uh, better yourself as a person and your leadership skills so my time in the FSA has been nothing short of amazing. I still have a year left, and just recently I ran for office, and to think it was my last time to be standing in, well, I haven't stood in front of a crowd yet to say my speech, <laughs> but that's going to be the last time that I'm able to run for office in our chapter, and so that's already hitting me, but anyways, I also show animals. I show pigs, steers, and turkeys. My family, Ross, Mandy Joe, you know Ross pretty well. He works in the mill. <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, Mo, of course, Morgan. She's my second cousin, actually, but I like to call us more of sisters. And she works at the mill. T she doesn't work at the mill, but she works at the storefront. And so they they have an influence on me greatly. But uh, showing animals, the turkeys they that came kind of from my uncle Charlie, which is Ross's dad. <laughs> And they were real into that, lots of success there, and I'm thankful for everyone who has helped me, not just raising turkeys, but pigs, and that comes from my, I call Monkey Mike, which is Mo's dad, <laughs> and um, Uncle Otto, all those people who have helped me along the way. I appreciate that, and that's something I'm really proud of, to show livestock, because I think you just can learn so much from it, how to, the responsibility mm. and just the networking that you get through the show barns, as well as just simply the importance of a handshake and how you can meet so many people and build those connections. Because really, I've, I've realized that the time starts now, that once you get into college, you're going to have to meet more and more people. 
but it's important that you have a good foundation right now and so that's what I'm trying to do is just to meet more people and learn about uh, industry professionals that share a passion for the agriculture industry as much as I do so well you should know that Ross has the number one episode right now and all we want to do is knock him off that perch so maybe you can help yes, sir. maybe you can help with that and as far as knowing everybody as long as you know Mandy Joe, she appears to know every single person in the state of Texas involved in the agricultural industry. Just out of curiosity, have you thought about what's next after high school? I have, I have thought about it. I figured I should probably start, you know, getting my brain cells working on college plans and what I'm going to do after high school and showing animals. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with an empty barn, but at least I have my brother to help me out so I can live through him for a little while. But I do plan to attend. Um, college. I don't know what school yet. Of course, college. Say, I don't want to say. <laughs> me and Morgan are pushing her to Texas Tech. Guns Hopefully, going to send her to Lubbock, maybe. Yes, Sam. Y'all <laughs> are definitely pushing me, but I, I do, I can see myself there. So Texas Tech <laughs> is a possibility. It's kind of far away. I know my mom's not a huge fan of that, but <laughs> I told her I Facetime her all the time. But A and M is also a great option, yeah. and I'd love to go out of state. I don't think I'll go out of state right away, but. Um, definitely an internship is something that I'm really interested in to learn about agriculture on a different level. Brooke, thank you so very kindly for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Up next was Carly. So tell us a little bit about your dad's operation. You know, what are y'all farming? Are you doing strictly corn or milo? Do y'all do any rotation? What does that look like? So my dad um, right now is strictly farming corn only. In the past, we've done milo and grain sorghum and other crops. But right now it's mostly corn. It's um, he just he usually starts planting on February 14th, Valentine's Day, and it's usually done about three to four weeks. And um, right now the corn's grown like a weed, and it's been <laughs> raining a lot, so it's been really successful. Hopefully, going to turn out a good crop this year. Harvest is in the end of summer, so late July, August, beginning of August and I help out sometimes with the grain buggy, but a lot of times I'm not always around because I go to camps and, you're here. and state conventions <laughs> and livestock judge, and yeah, I'm not always around, but I like to be part of it. Well, I know everyone at the co-op is hoping for a good corn crop this year. We're on the right path, like you said, and because you show steers, you kind of have the unique opportunity that you get to see the product from the beginning to the end. You see the corn go in the field, you see it harvested, you see it go through the mill and turn into a steer feed that you feed into your steer throughout the process. So that's got to be pretty unique and uh, fun to see it from start to finish. Right. Uh, my dad actually sells corn to the club quite often. Yep. So it's pretty interesting to know that the corn that I'm feeding my steers is going into my steer and going to be made into beef one day. So it's a pretty cool experience. But my dad actually has cattle operation too. So... I see it from start to finish when the, we artificially inseminate them to the end where we're butchering them and sending them off to pinch horns. So it's pretty cool that I get to see the whole process and it's a very life changing to know how food is made and how important it is for agriculture to continue to be thriving. Up next was Ava. All right, Ava, we kind of have the same background. I grew up showing heifers, and I judged meats in college. Those are two of your focuses here. Not everyone understands meats judging, so tell us a little bit about that. 
Right, so I'll start off with the beginning of my journey. Whenever Mr. Limerick first asked me to start, I was a little bit unsure, but, you know, I went with it, and this was during COVID years, so I was in virtual school. So I came in before school every morning, just about, and I would come and I would study. I would learn the retail cuts, where they came from. I would learn how to grade, how to grade a ribeye off of paper, because in, at our school we don't have the facilities to actually have meat. So we would, I would come in, I would judge off of paper, and then of course learning the test is a very big part of the high school meat judging contest. And then whenever we're actually getting ready for the contest itself, you know, we get all bundled up in our three jackets, and our two pairs of pants, and our hot hands, and then we go in, and throughout the contest there's a few different aspects of it. We have to grade uh, a beef, carcass, beef carcasses, and then we have the retail section of it. We have to identify, like I said, we have to identify the cuts, where it comes from, how it's cooked. Then we go on to take a test after that, and we have a few placing classes so we can place beef carcasses, all of the carcasses, pork and lamb, and then some cuts from that as well as some primals. Awesome. Do you think you're going to pursue meat judging in college or... Absolutely. That's something I'm looking to do. Um, I would like to go to A&M. I did my official tour there this past fall, and I want to go out there and go through the judging circuit at A&M. Is it surprising that there are people like me that have absolutely no idea where the food comes from? <laughs> I mean, I, I, love it. I love a good steak on Thursday night, and I've always been fascinated about where it comes from. And so I'm very, very glad that people like you are out there pursuing this and making this something that other people learn about. I find that very, very interesting. Right, so I was on the Ag Issues team that Mr. Riley had talked about earlier this past year, and it was really eye-opening to me especially. I mean, growing up, you think most people, you think everyone is like you. So you think that everyone knows where your food comes from, the agriculture industry, but really there are some people who just don't understand the industry and where their food comes from. For me, it comes from Granzines in New Right, it, it shows up at the grocery store and they don't know where it comes from. So it's a very good perspective for me so I can see where our food comes from in the entire process of how it gets from farm to the store and then to our plate. And it was more important to me because during the winter storm, I will never forget going to HEB and Walmart and seeing those empty shelves and what happened in three days. And we're just not that many days away from running out of food, are we? Absolutely. It's very crazy. And then with our issues, we learned that um, in 50 year, or by the year 2050, our population size is going to be so large that we can hardly feed them with how much food we're producing right now. So we're going to have to find ways to expand the agriculture industry and find different ways to farm and provide food while keeping a positive or perspective of the agriculture industry so we can continue to provide for the world. I'll be in my 90s, but I'll still want to eat. So <laughs> that's very good. Thank you so much, yes, Ava. Thank you. Hey, Kay, so tell us, what piqued your interest in showing pigs, and by the way, I had bacon this morning, and judging wool? So first off, I was raised on a swine farm my entire life. It actually started with my grandma's father. He was the one who started the swine farm. And it's just been in my family ever since. Uh, we raise about 30 sows now, have about 200 pigs on the ground, getting ready for state fair. And it's just been something every day I go home, I go up to the pig barn and I do stuff that needs to be done. It's just something that I don't think I could live without. Wow. Yes, sir. So that's always been a part of my life and I hope to keep it uh, in my life for as long as I live. Um, and for the wool judging thing, I didn't originally do wool judging. When I started my freshman year in high school in FFA, I started ag sales with Brooke, and then 
my sophomore year, we won state and went to nationals. So in FFA, if you win a contest, if you win state, you have to pick another one. So I got the opportunity to go to wool judging, and it was definitely something I never even thought was possible of Case Kelso doing wool judging, but I did it. Uh, it was super fun. I learned so much about the sheep and goat industry, not just the swine industry. And we got fourth, so we're going to nationals in that. So I get to pick another contest nice. next year, <laughs> and I'm really excited about that. I didn't even know judging wool was a thing. I've always wanted to ask, what are the nuances? What are the things that you're looking for when you're judging that? So what you're looking for is first you have to identify what type of wool it is. There's five different types. There's fine, half blood, three-eighths, quarter, and low quarter. So how you differentiate that is the crimp and like the fiber diameter itself. And at first I did not think I was going to be able to tell the difference, but just the more you do it, doing it every day, you start to learn. You can just feel the difference. And then next what you're going to look for is how big the fleece is compared to its weight. So those fleeces hold lots of grease and lots of dirt, especially the finer wool. And what you do with that is you weigh it and then you will feel how greasy and dirty it is. You can look at it as well. And then you yield it based off of that. So there's different yield percentages for each uh, blood grade. The fines are usually 45 to 55%, meaning of that fleece, you're going to get 55% of it clean wool. So we have to get within eight points of that, so four up or four down. And that was something I thought was going to be really difficult, but the, like I said, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And overall, I mean, there's not much else. There's staple length, so they take each lock of wool. You can pull certain locks, and most of them are going to be about here, but staple length is just how long it is, and you have to identify that as well. I judged wool my first oh, year. Oh, did you? All right. Tech, it was part of the program, and you think that you can talk reasons until you have to talk reasons on wool. It's wow. like how many things can you talk about with a bale of wool? So it's impressive. I didn't know it was a thing until I got to college. So good for you. That is cool. Now you're wearing a Texas A&M Aggie Grandpa shirt. You look really good, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Thank you. I got to say, yeah, you're really, <laughs> really, really good. And I just want a final question for you. There are people that do different things. They go to Princeton, they go to Harvard, and they study things, and I'm sure that's very good. They do not fully appreciate the intelligence that is required to do this animal husbandry and to put food on the table. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of that misconception about what all of you do? I'm definitely aware of that. So my grandpa was definitely the smartest person I know. He may have not been the nicest. He might not put the nicest way possible. But if you had a question about anything from school to life to farm to anything, he had an answer. And that really opened my eyes. When I started going to shows and stuff, we'd have these people walking through and they would have no idea how this pig gets to their kitchen table. Absolutely. And being able to learn about that and tell them every step that goes into it and seeing their eyes open up about how much actually goes into getting this pig onto their table was definitely eye-opening for me. Case, thank you so very much. Thank you. The principal of Marion High School, Stacy Snyder, was there watching us record the podcast, and I asked her to jump in to tell her that we have wanted to do a show like this since we started doing the podcast because I believe Marion High School is the quintessential FFA high school. 
Yes, I would definitely agree with that. You know, when I first came in as principal here, I didn't know a lot about FFA. I, you know, I was always I was involved in sports and stuff when I was in school. And I talked to one of my friends who had been involved, and she was telling me about, I was telling her, you know, this is what's going on in my school. And she, she was just blown away at the success and everything that we do here at Marion High School our FFA programs and Mr. Riley and his team of teachers have done a fabulous job of educating our kids and instructing our kids and mentoring our kids and our kids are fantastic. They just have established so much tradition here with FFA at Marion High School and our group right now just continues that and we're so proud of them. It's a podcast, people see you can't see it, but the principal is what we call beaming. She's very <laughs> smiling and she's actually very, very proud. Thank you so much for allowing us to be on campus today. We had an absolute blast. Thank you. Thank you for coming. We appreciate you guys. Wow, we've had a blast here at Marion High School, have we not? I have had a blast. I feel so confident about the future of agriculture. I'm so proud of these kids, proud to know them, and proud to get to spend some time with them today. And whether you are out on a swine farm in Guadalupe County or on a tastefully appointed suburban home just off County Line Road, it's better here. Well, I was born in a small town and I live in a small town. My name is Jason Dias. On behalf of Mandy Joe, Buddy the Dog, and everybody at the co-op, we want to thank everybody at Marion High School for letting us come out and meet these amazing young people. And to you, the families that raised them, job well done. <laughs>